We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What do you think about the Laker team now? You follow the box scores of the games every day? Just the Lakers. You're kidding. That is really a compliment. I was pleased to see you smile at the top of our show because once the game starts, you have a game face. You don't smile much out there. I don't think you have to do things for money anymore. Correct. All right, what's happening, guys? Mike Trudell and Darius Soriano, and apparently Riggs uh, in the background for today's podcast. No Pete today, and Darius, you and Pete recorded a pod a couple days ago called Groundhog Day. And then the Lakers lost a game against the Kings that... What did you say in the group thread? It was a lot like what we've seen in the last couple. Yes. I don't remember the phrase that you used, but yes. <laughs> it was colorful language, let me say. Mike. It was colorful language. And so I think that <laughs> when you and I were constructing what we wanted to talk about today, I said, well, why don't we not talk a ton about that game last night? Uh, other than the, the fact the Lakers looked really tired despite having a day off before. Um, it's something that we've seen a lot before. And what interested me f- more than that is Sacramento, despite I think probably neither of us, and, and that would include Pete, taking them super seriously as a playoff team, they have created some separation by beating some bad teams the last the last week and change. And they are now in the three seed, shockingly, seven games above 500. But there have been several other teams in the West all trending downwards. And therefore, even with this, again, stop me if you've heard this before, even with this losing streak, the Lakers now find themselves five games under 500 with Memphis coming into town. Memphis has won 11 in a row. And I wanted to look, Darius, at the teams directly ahead of them. Utah is at 500. Clippers, a game below 500. OKC, a game below 500, but 10 and 5 in their last 15. Minnesota, two games under 500. And Portland, two games under 500. And wait, Phoenix, three games under 500. So, Please pull a team or two out of that group and we can try to figure out what's going on in the Western Conference. So normally, Mike, we frame this as like the teams that we think want to sort of drop out or have decisions to be made about like how they want to handle their season. And that would typically be like an OKC potentially or a Utah So, but let's put those teams to the side for a second, because I want to have a different discussion about them, about what their pivot point actually is. Instead, let's talk about teams like Portland, 
and Phoenix and Minnesota and the Clippers. And that group includes a couple of your favorite teams, Mike, a couple of your non-favorite Laker teams, right? When <laughs> when you look at that that group, and I mean favorite within the context of you're definitely interested in the results, but not interested in the same way, in the same type of results as we are for the Lakers. Those are your, right? those are your words, not mine. <laughs> okay, so those are teams that want to win. They're teams that have incentive to try to be contender teams, particularly the Suns and the Clippers, right? Um, I think there's a whole different conversation to be had about the Warriors and what's going on with them, but we'll save that for another day. And, and so let's look at the Clippers and the Suns. The Clippers just played last night, I think. They sat their main guys again. Um, and these teams are under 500 and they've all been dealing with injuries and they want to be playoff teams that make a deep run and they want to win a championship under their current roster construction before that roster construction expires basically, right? Which is looking potentially sooner than later. So are they one of those teams? Like they're not a pivot team to me. They're a team that should be looking to like buy potentially at the trade deadline and looking to improve their roster in order to make the type of run that they were expected to make before the season started. And so let's start with them. They're ahead of the Lakers. They are direct competition. We thought they'd be higher up in the standings and they're not a bunch of people pick the Clippers to win the championship before the season. And so where are you at with teams like that that seem to be falling or are dealing with injury issues or just haven't gotten their act together in 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 a way? And how do you leverage that against what the Lakers are trying to do, who have admirably treaded water in ways that these teams have not without all of their guys? So the last 15 games, the Lakers are seven and eight. And I what I wanted to do, and, and I think I'll do this probably for later in the week or, or maybe even for like a Monday morning pot or something. But when you're without one of your best players, and especially if that player is as good as Anthony Davis, that's a pretty good mark. J- just considering what all of these teams that are missing players, look what Phoenix has been doing without Booker. And in lately it's been Chris Paul too. You just mentioned the Clippers who have had George and Leonard in some games, but not all, but certainly more than the Lakers have had Anthony Davis of late. So there are all of these teams that are struggling without the stars, as they should be. New Orleans. Uh, New Orleans has had no Zion and no Ingram. They're eight and seven. So the Lakers have been comparable to um, to teams that are like New Orleans that has that all that depth, but the Clippers have not. Like at five and ten, you notice something coming out of that team where Ty Lue seems to be openly frustrated at not having the types of the players that he wants, and then. Is it an organizational philosophy? Is it Kawhi and his people to an extent pushing? Is it, And that's not to dismiss that Paul George has had hamstring strains and issues and, and such. It's not – you never want to – I'm never going to put words in somebody in a, in a team's mouth about what's going on from an injury standpoint, but it's just odd. The amount of games that have been missed – and the Clippers to me are kind of a, a bellwether for what has been happening in the league. Uh, this year and and with guys sitting out and with guys either being sick or having minor injuries or taking the extra day. And let's just say simply that it's not working for them. 
Now, even fully healthy, I've been more of a Clippers skeptic, I think, than some based on the tenets of, of basketball that we've talked about a little bit on this pod where Kawhi and Paul George ultimately great players but are jump shooters more than their drivers to the rim. And neither of them protect the rim, which requires a rim-protecting type player that they haven't really had for ideal lineups. Zubats has been great uh, on his in his time on the floor, but in certain playoff series and certain matchups, teams are happy to have him out there and to try to pull him on the perimeter, um, and or just to try and expose that. And so they that was the whole argument that I made before the nineteen twenty season. All the t- the teammates were different for the most part, but it's like LeBron and AD both protect the rim, both get to the rim. Over the course of seven games, that type of thing makes a big difference. You have to do it four times to win a playoff series. So that's trying to bring in some of the outside picture into this. But for me now, I'm not considering the Clippers as a um, as a true title contender just based on the expectation that they're not going to have – they're not going to be able to create that type of on-court chemistry uh, based on not just the absences but sort of that lack of, of a key swing player, that key third player around Kawhi. And Paul George, I'm I don't want to completely throw it out because of the talent and all of the veterans that are there. But I, I'm not considering them in the same breath as I would Denver and Memphis and Golden State. And then New Orleans to me is on the outside looking in until they prove a certain degree of health, although I love the talent there. But that's like that Denver, Memphis, Golden State. And I might still have Golden State, by the way, healthy um, as that as the, the top out of respect, that top contender. But that pulls to me the Clippers out of that mix. Well, it's interesting, right, Mike, because we've talked a lot this season about the roster imbalance of a team like the Lakers, right, with so many guards and not enough forwards. Um, and then their big man rotation has been stripped down a certain amount because of, of AD being out. So they've been super reliant on Thomas Bryant and Wenyan Gabriel, who you've been talking about a fair amount on the broadcast lately and for good reason. The Clippers are an interesting team in that they're sort of the inverse of the Lakers, and they're almost like the Raptors to a certain extent. They've got all of this forward depth and all of this wing depth, but they don't really have a backup center. And their point guards are Reggie Jackson and John Wall. John Wall's hurt right now. And so um, Ty Lue has turned to Terrence Mann. And he's benched Reggie Jackson and or put him into a reserve role. And that speaks to that idea of Ty Lu sort of searching for something. And the Lakers are very familiar with that idea of searching for something like Frank Vogel went through an entire season of searching for something last year. And when your top guys are hurt um, or they're missing games for whatever reason, y- y- you do get a little, I don't want to call it impatient, but you understand what the, you understand all all that you're uh, trying to achieve. You understand the stakes, and then that weighs on you in in a certain way. And and I feel like Ty Lue now has been dealing with that for a couple of seasons, right? No doubt. And I think the team that right now is in a similar is in a similar place that the Clippers are is Phoenix, and theirs is just more di- like there are two parts of this. One is just directly injury related. That's why they've won yeah. only one game out of their last 10, right? Currently on a three game losing streak. They're 21 and 24, just a game ahead of the Lakers. Like that's that, of course, is the biggest reason. But other than Devin Booker and how great he was to start the season, kind of keeping Phoenix afloat. And in fact, even close to the tops of the standings for a couple of weeks, they have these other issues that come in. 
to play there. And it's the chemistry stuff. It's DeAndre Ayton. It's it's all of the like the Chris Paul and the Monty Williams chatter that you hear. Those guys are both hard uh, on people, and that can be that can wear on certain guys, right? Where Mike the Jay Crowder stuff too. It's just like Crowder is he was a starter for them yeah, in a run absolutely. to a finals, right? And it's just like now he's out. And just not having him because he's choosing sort of well either. It depends who you ask, right? But like the organization, it sounds like was just basically said, "Oh, okay, you don't want to play? Fine, we're good." And that's kind of a that's kind of an aggressive take, you know, for a guy like <laughs> yes. that without being able to trade him because he's a, a starting kind of key rotation player. Now, could he just be flipped for a Dylan Brooks type, right? Like like that type of thing? Could that help both teams? Maybe, but it hasn't happened, and therefore it's been a problem. And and so there to me, it's that is enough, Darius to be pulled out of that top level of contention because yeah. now they cannot catch the Denver's and the Memphis's. And even I, I keep talking about golden state in that frame, golden state is closer in record to these teams, but I see that more as just the nature of not boredom, but I've watched Lakers teams that won the championship come back the next year. And you're legitimately tired. You're legitimately mentally fried. And you know that you can, you can pull some things together because you just did it. And that to me yeah. is where, like, it's why their home record is great. Their road record is not because the home and at home, they feel the energy, right? They get that lift on the road. The other team always plays a certain degree harder against the defending champion or the Lakers. And, and there are a couple other teams mixed in there. But so there, it's like, it's clearly to me a mix of injuries and energy. And they've still got plenty um, of the talent. Steph still looks like Steph. So I'm including them in the group um, that, that we talked about before. But Phoenix now, to me, having dropped out of that and the Clippers having dropped out of that, the question to kick back to you before we talk about a couple of teams that maybe have the less a less amount of high end talent is how do you see that evolve? You know, how where does just like we look at the Lakers like, oh, well, if they get AD back and they're in a playing spot, you know, these other teams, where do you see Phoenix and the Clippers having to get to to feel like maybe there is still a chance for those teams? Well, here's the thing, Mike, is. All of these teams that we're talking about, the Lakers, if any of these teams, the Lakers, the Suns, the Clippers, if they make the playoffs, it's either likely to be through the play-in or as a team that does not have home court advantage in the first round, right? And so you started the conversation talking about the Kings. The Kings have moved up into third. The Pelicans are right behind them, basically. They're basically in a virtual tie, right? They have... Those two teams have separated themselves to a certain extent above the Mavs. They're, I think, four up in the loss column. And this is where this is like an offshoot of this conversation. But it's something I was talking to Pete a little bit offline the other day is I think there's a lot of buyers now. Like it's creating a a really strong buyer's market in the trade deadline. Right. So like you could look at a team like Dallas as a buyer. They're the fifth seed. They've got some depth issues on the wing. Darius, do you mean buyer's market in terms of a lot of teams want to buy? But yes, a lot of that, teams want to buy, so not a buyer's a market. market. Yes, it's really a okay. seller's market, but not got a lot it. of sellers, right? And so thank you for, for framing that correctly. I'm saying that there's a ton of buyers out there. Dallas, so like good teams, like Dallas is a good team. And they're going to want to improve their chances around Luca in order to win a championship with him. I think teams like the Lakers and the Clippers and to a certain extent, the Suns, the Suns have been wanting 
to be a buyer, quote unquote, the entire season because of their Jay Crowder issue, right? And then a team like the Lakers and the Clippers, I think they have roster imbalances that they need to try to shift their team around some in order to get a better mix of of and of better fitting players around their two stars that are going to help them compete. And so that's an offshoot of this same conversation. But to answer your question in terms of what, like, where do they have to get to? Health is obviously super important, but all of these guys are going to be scrambling, I think, to get to like the eighth seed so that they could host that first play in game, in my opinion. It's a good way to frame it for sure. There's one team, Darius, that is pretty confounding and is, I think it's a, it's not the type of team that you would have expected to be discussing at this juncture of the season in the context that we're going to. And we'll get to that after the break. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. All right, so Russell Westbrook's former original team, the Oklahoma City Thunder. Darius, would you be surprised if I told you that not only had the Thunder won six of seven games, but each of those wins was by more than 10 points or okay, at least 10 points. They beat Brooklyn on the road at Brooklyn by exactly 10. The only loss was a last second one point loss at Miami. I mean... I'm guessing that a lot of people, especially Laker fans that are more focused, hyper-focused on the Lakers, probably haven't watched OKC a lot. Yeah. Because they haven't played the Lakers yet. <laughs> this is not – so you've had to go out of – and they have not been on national television. So you've had to go out of your way, either having league pass or whatever, just found some way to watch them. Um, I have watched them a few times. And it's – they're such an interesting team because their their development has been too good and they are too athletic to really yes. be bad unless they super openly sit a bunch of guys, which they have done in the past, but they have not really been able to have the heart to do. And yet they're still only, uh, let's see in the loss column. They're two ahead of the Lakers, the Spurs and the Rockets are out of reach <laughs> to be already, but they can still get in that bottom mix. So my question to you is what are they actually doing? They have all of the picks moving forward. They have Chet Holmgren coming back next yeah, year, essentially ice. as like this uh, yeah. a, a new lottery pick, right? And and they have other teams' picks still, like in this specific draft. So what is going on there? How do you view them? 
And sure, put it in the context of the Lakers, if, if you would like, in terms of standings, watchings. But who's uh, – wait, who's picked? Do they, do they have somebody else's first for this year? No, not okay. I just not for not for this year, but they have next year. They get another uh, maybe a Clippers first. So anyway, what do you think about the Thunder, man? Well, do they have swap rights with the Clippers this year? They might. That might be. They might have the swap. Uh, no, you know what? I don't think they do. Yeah, I don't think they do this year. Well, anyways, they've made some masterful trades, right? Both the Chris Paul trade in terms of um, getting Chris Paul, and then and then getting off of Chris Paul when he had value. And then the Paul George trade, those are master strokes, right? By by Sam Presti leveraging the wants of player impact like using player empowerment and the wants of the players to sort of maneuver to their preferred destinations against these organizations that wanted these players too, right? And so just great sort of reading of the market by him and, and extracting every possible asset that he could get. And if right, and to give a quick review of that, right? So Harden was play, playing with Paul, and that had run its course. And Harden wanted to needed something else, and the only guy that was really available was Westbrook, who OKC kind of could claim, no, we want him to be a th- a Thunder player forever. So even if most people thought Chris Paul was the better player, Houston was the one that had to pay for it. Uh, so they had to send a couple of firsts and the better player in that swap. Then to precede that, so Paul George chooses. To, to re-sign after they had traded for him, chooses to go to not play with LeBron, essentially, and to go play with Russ. And then as Kawhi decides to go to the Clippers and it, there's essentially the ultimatum, it's got to be with Paul George. And so Presti's sitting there like, oh, wait, what? So you you 100% have to have my player? Okay, great. Then give me everything that you possibly can. So clearly it was smart, but he also just, they happened to kind of, find themselves in a pretty good situation when other teams were super desperate. Oh, they walked right up to the hot craps table, Mike, and and started putting money down <laughs> on every single number and every number is hitting for them. So that's great for them. When you ask me what I make of, of OKC, you have often talked about, and it's been a theme of the pod, particularly after the Lakers got LeBron, is how a superstar player just raises your floor on a night-to-night basis and can keep you competitive in any given game just by how good they are. And we've seen that again with the Lakers this season as AD carried the team when LeBron was out, and now LeBron has carried the team with AD out. And while the results haven't always been wins, we talked about it to start the pod, like the Lakers are in every single one of these games, mostly because LeBron is still just amazing. Well, I'm not going to necessarily compare SGA to LeBron James, but SGA is having an all NBA caliber season at guard, like 35 and five every night. And I know numbers are inflated this season and you can go to any national NBA pod right now and go through their archives. And in the last week and a half, they would have talked about the scoring explosion around the league. It's just like everyone got the memo like, hey, let's talk about this this week. And so it's definitely a topic that's on the front of of everyone's minds. But night to night, Mike, you said that you've watched OKC some. I bet when you watch them, the guy who's popping for you, besides some of their other like high talent lottery players that they've taken the last several years it's Shea Shea looks amazing 
and he looks like one of these guys that you simply cannot guard. He's averaging thirty. He's, like, he's averaging thirty points a game on fifty percent from the field. Yeah, yeah, and he is sort of reshaped his game where he's taking less threes. He is, if he's not still leading the league in drives, he's got to be near near the top because for the first part of the season, he was just getting to the paint as often as he wanted to. And he is just a dominant offensive player. And then you add around him like Giddy and uh, Jalen Williams, uh, both of them right, who they took in this past draft. And they've just got a lot of young, bouncy athletes. And on any given night, they've got as much wing depth and wing talent and then scoring punch as any other team in the league. And that's why they can go up against Boston and be like, hey, yeah, well, we've got the same sort of guys that you have, and we're going to take it to you. And it's like when you talk about potential lottery picks coming back with Chet Holmgren. Chet's on ice. It's like a redshirt year for him. And he, who knows if he could have come back this season from his injury, but they're not playing that game. They're going to shut him down, similar to like what Philly did with Embiid and with Ben Simmons. They're going to give this guy a year off to train and get his body right and come back in into his second season as physically ready to go as he can be, and join a team that looks primed to start to be good again. I'll I'll conclude the OKC portion of this by, again, trying to tie in a little bit to the Lakers. But having not played them yet, that means that they're about to play them a, a good amount over these next couple of months. And they're a problem-type team for the Lakers to play because they're healthy, which that's that's been the number one abnormal thing. Shea has played 41 of their 45 games, which in the current NBA – is a ton for a star to be playing. Lugens Dort has played 44 games. Uh, Jalen Williams and Giddy both at over 40. Trey Mann, 40. Like, so they've, and all of these guys play hard. They've all been developing. So it's it's been a, a good NBA story. The context just continues to be, how much does the front office say, you know what? Let's go ahead and, and just push, get into the play-in mix, give these guys this experience, we're probably out of the Wemby sweepstakes because Charlotte has 12 wins. Detroit has 12 wins. Houston has 10. San Antonio has 14. Orlando has 16. Or they go the other way and they say, you know what? Shea's load has been heavy. He's proven himself. He's going to be an all-star. And because if Shea misses a couple of weeks, Darius, all of a sudden that right there is enough where like they still, they're still going to play hard. They're still going to be plucky, but they just don't have quite enough of the creation at the yeah. high efficient level. But he has not missed any games, and that's that's kind of like Luca hasn't missed any games. Well, guess what? Dallas, despite having a bunch of other guys out, is above 500. Sacramento, Sabonis and Fox have largely been super healthy all year. Memphis, either Bain or Jackson or Morant has it seemingly been out, but at least two of them have been on the court. Jokic doesn't miss time. Look over the East, Tatum and, and Brown, mostly healthy, despite Brown right now being out with a minor strain, and they're so far above water that they're fine. Giannis missed the last couple, but it's been so great in the other ones that he's held them above. So this, this has kind of been, that's the simplest way that I look at some of this. And that's where though, I want to bring in another team as we get to the West and it's Utah. And they are doing what we thought they would do. We didn't think they were going to start as hot as they did, but we thought they were going to come back to earth. Uh, and they have, they're still a good team though. Like they're not bad, but what happens now 
as they look at the rest of the picture of the West, they see that with 24 losses, they are just one loss fewer than the Lakers who are third to last. Doesn't it seem like that they they continue to be a team that would trend in that direction as they play different groups, as they take more looks at Taylor Horton Tucker, our guy, you know, doesn't because that's where I still see them, Darius, but they're in the seventh spot right now. Yeah. Utah's an, another interesting team just from the standpoint, Mike, of like they've got a bunch of real NBA players. Markinen has taken a leap as well. Clarkson is a legitimate NBA scorer. I think if they're going to pivot, it's going to be because they trade Mike Conley. So Conley is sort of the glue, I feel like, that holds everything together. When Utah went on their string where they got to the point where they were they were a few games over five five hundred and looked like the the like, oh, look at the Jazz. What what can they do? They fell, they fell pretty quickly back back to earth when Conley was out for that stretch. So I think and Conley has worked his way back up into being a trade asset where if you would have asked me like a week into the season or right before the season started, you may have needed to give something to get off of Conley. But now he's viewed as that stabilizing guard that I think a lot of teams could use, like a team like, um, I don't know, Minnesota could use a Mike Conley. And there's a lot of teams around the league that could use a secondary or primary ball handler. Clippers, Mavs. Yeah, keep keep going. Yeah, I like, mean, I'm just thinking of teams who who would who would kind of uh, the Suns. Yeah, well, even no, I get like, they have Chris even, Paul, but even a team like the Bucks, Mike, where it's just like you don't think about them in that way because of Holiday and Middleton, but Holiday yeah. and Middleton could always slide up. And Holiday could defend shooting guards very easily. They could always use another ball handler. And imagine some sort of crazy closing lineup with Mike Conley and Holiday and Middleton and Giannis. And then, like, I don't know, anyone like Portis or or any of their right. other guys. And, and you're just like, oh, well, look at them. Like, it's a different look. And so Conley's a guy, I think, that if Utah decides to trade him – they may naturally fall out a bit. But as long as this group is together and healthy, they're going to continue to win every other night. I just see them as a bit of a 500 team, and they're going to have to either purposefully sit guys or they're going to have to strategically trade a couple of their more right. useful, important players. And Con- and that starts with Conley to me. It's And even there, Darius, I... I am not sure exactly what I think of this because Conley's still owed 24 mil next year, guaranteed. And that to me, even though as a player, I think he has value on the teams that we mentioned, I don't know that they get the type of asset that they really want. So therefore, are you going to do that with Conley and get like a couple of seconds? Because with that amount of money, is he a starting point guard on a lot of those teams or is he sort of that third guard I don't know. That's for that amount of money. That's tricky. And it's going to take like somebody that really thinks that they can contend if it's going to be more than a couple of seconds, but nonetheless interesting. And I think it accomplishes one of those goals that Utah has. And so that's the name to watch. Markinen is, is he, to me has been the big surprise for them where he has had moments in Cleveland, in Chicago, but never to the degree that he's played this year. And that kind of, that is a, that has gotten them more wins, I think, than they would have had. 
And B, it's put them into the context of, well, he's not somebody that we're going to trade because he's on a pretty good contract for what his value this year has been. 17 next year, 18 in 24, 25. So then you're thinking, well, if he's there and he's playing, he's still good enough with his scoring to win you some games. And do they start to get into the funky, what OKC did with Shea last year, where they just sort of give him a couple weeks off? I mean, and it's just open and direct. and, And that's a tricky one. How about Kelly Olenek, who is currently hurt with an ankle, but has played really well for them, would help a lot of teams by spacing the floor on offense, right? And, and you know, you, he would be your third big, so you wouldn't have to yeah. have him on the floor in defense anyway. Um, what about Jared Vanderbilt, who is not starting for them anymore, but a lot of teams could really use that type of energy, uh, the rebounding there. Clearly, Kessler is, has been, I mean, that don't get me even started on the disaster, right, between look at Gobert versus Kessler alone right now. Yeah. So he's like, he's good. He's saying there, he's going to get playing time, but that's that direction that they could go in. There still are enough players that are not bad. And and like, that's why they are confounding because it's, if you're the Lakers and you're looking and you're expecting Utah to fall off some, I think you can, you can expect them to fall off some, but they are too talented to go completely into that mode of, of getting way down to the bottom. And then, if that's the case, then maybe they do just say, we've got all these picks. We don't think we're going to get one Banyama. Uh, let's let's flirt, continue to flirt around this 10 seed spot. And and that's the that, that's a, a, an interesting place to be. And so we've talked a lot about teams, Mike, that may fall out or their future looks dicey or they are potential candidates to really try to improve their roster. And I think the Lakers fall into the latter category. but. One thing I wanted to hit on before we wrapped up is the prospect of like, how can you improve internally and what is the mindset of your team? And the Lakers got an Anthony Davis update yesterday from Darvin Ham. And and so talk to me a little bit about what coach said about AD and his progress. And then we'll wrap up on this idea of the Lakers sort of teetering right now and the prospects of getting some guys back and potentially Anthony Davis back, hopefully, and what that could mean for them for their push. For sure. And the two teams that we didn't get to that we'll wait and we'll touch on later, basically Minnesota and Portland, who similarly have been struggling in their last several games, are missing key players and are right there as such in terms of the loss column with the Lakers. But they have some – Portland doesn't necessarily have anybody coming back. Uh, The Wolves at some point will. But let's let's save that. Like the, I, I love the NBA this year. All this stuff is interesting. Aside from you know, the Lakers losing like nine heartbreaking games um, <laughs> on repeat for the same formula. So let's go to AD. I did an update on the broadcast yesterday, and with injury updates on AD, Darius, sometimes I, I almost prefer to just do them in that sense as opposed to tweeting the full. It's like because since it's so fluid writing it down or doing like a story, an AD injury update, which I probably will do one of these next couple of days is still a little bit fraught. But yesterday was the most positive that Darvin Ham has been and gave the most information. And I'll summarize it here. So he's been doing 30 and 60 minute workouts on the court, individual workouts. And he's been, Darvin said, here's the quote, pretty much pain-free. Now, as that continues, you figure he does he ramps up from the individual to eventually joining the team and then all of a sudden he's playing in games like that that would be the track if he stays pain free if they keep imaging the foot and it's not and it's showing that the stress reaction 
is either healing or healed or whatnot. And that's, again, that's the big thing is the stress reaction, not the bone spur, which AD explained to all of us in Atlanta. And it's that stress reaction in the navicular bone. Like that's the one that, that everybody has been watching closely. And the reason, so Darwin at first just said that he's doing these workouts, right? It's been pretty much pain free. So my follow-up was before we knew that he was doing some shooting because we saw him on the court doing that pregame. We saw that. So we knew he was doing shooting, but we did not know if he was getting up and down, even if it was just on his own, running, jumping. And so I said, Darvin, is there a distinction point there? Is he doing any running? Is he doing any jumping? And, and Darvin said all of that. Okay, interesting. So he's doing that type of stuff and is continuing to not have the pain reaction. Where I want to pump the brakes a little bit is that there still is a difference between doing that individually and then doing it with contact, yeah, yeah. with not knowing where a dude's foot is when you go up for a rebound and in a practice format for for starters and then in the game format and doing it for 35 NBA minutes versus doing an individual workout. So it's not there still is there is there is still a bridge to cross. I'm uh, I hope that I've thus conveyed a certain amount of yes, this is positive, And yet there are still hurdles that need to be crossed that are real ones. And uh, I wonder, as you heard that update, I, I think I texted you a version of it before I said it, what your reaction was and how you think that pulls into context with this whole discussion. The West, the Lakers being X amount back at like how in AD, of course, Darius being the most important part of the, the place that could lift them if he's able to come back like this. So I think it's a super positive update for AD individually, and I think it's hopeful for the Lakers as a team. I agree with what you're saying around the idea that there are hurdles to clear, and I think that we are all a little bit scarred from the injury situation the Lakers have dealt with the last several seasons to not get our hopes up too high, I think. Like, AD is just dealt with so many different nagging things from a knee to a foot to an ankle. And it's just like, okay, well, well, is this one going to be the one that he comes back from cleanly and, and is ready to go? I also think that the general uncertainty around stress injuries and how they can get better and then come back is one of those things that just sort of hovers like a cloud a little bit. And I think that that's always going to be a nagging thing about, well, is he just going to experience pain a month from now, even if he comes back and ramps up fine and returns to action fine. And that thing is always sort of out there. That said, AD is someone who, Mike, correct me if I'm wrong, my sense of him is that he takes a lot of the sort of looking at him as potentially being soft or injury prone, like that stuff bothers him. And I think he wants to play as much as possible. And the fact that he hasn't been able to play, I think that really weighs on him. He's one of the guys where even when he's hurt, he travels with the team all of the time. He's always someone who is trying to stay engaged on the bench. And he's always the guy with the iPad. He's right. talking to LeBron about what he's seen. He's talking to Wendy Gabriel. He's, He's talking to Thomas Bryant. He's having conversations with all of the players and sort of pointing out the things that 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 he sees. He's one of those stars that I've always appreciated that about him, that it's never like, oh, well, AD's away from the team. He's training on his own. He's he's doing his rehab on on his own. No, like if he could be with the team, he is. And, and, and so I anticipate him 
being as diligent as he can with his rehab and in wanting to get back and play as much as possible. And so all of that stuff is super encouraging to like when I frame these updates within that, I am encouraged. I think that's uh that's, that's the right way to think about it for sure. Or at least the way that I do, which if you and I both think the same, then, then good. Okay. Now we will, uh, we will surely get feedback as Pete dissects this pod second by second. Um, I don't know if it will come in a text form, but at, at very least tomorrow morning, uh, we'll get Pete back on here. Darius will look ahead to what will be a difficult game against the Memphis Grizzlies, a Grizzlies team that is not lost in like a month. So until then, uh, thank you for listening to the Laker Film Room Podcast. He's Darius. I'm Mike. We'll see you next time. James has got it in low to McHale. McHale wants to turn his double team. Just pass out of front, broken up by Worthy. Tip to Magic. Worthy dies on his belly. Magic scores. There's Magic got it. Magic fires. It's good. The Lakers win the game. The Lakers win the game. Three seconds left. That next to the winner. It's on the way. Kobe Bryant, 48 points, 16 rebounds. Jack with his eighth block shot that ties an NBA Finals record. A lot of Laker fans okay, sticking so around for this. You're seeing something that's very rare indeed. A Laker to get MVP chance right, in, Boston. in Boston. Of all places. Are you kidding me? Kobe, hard to believe. Are you kidding me? Unreal. Are you kidding me? Lakers looking to push. Bryant spinning in the lane, back for Gasol, pretty pass, and it's back to a three-point game. Kobe Bryant, picked up by Bell. There's the move, two, one, miss it! It's over. Shot clock now to five. Bryant, yes! And that was a little tough to Albert Gentry. Add insult to injury, Kobe. I mean, what a shot. I mean, you can't defend that. Are you kidding me? 2.1 seconds remaining. Denver a foul to give. Jokic trying to disrupt Rondo. He puts it in. Here's Davis. 4-3 in the win. Oh, it's good! Anthony Davis has won it for the Lakers! James again. Oh, he hits another one. LeBron James putting together a closing quarter against the Nuggets. This historic 2020 NBA championship belongs to the Los Angeles Lakers. The Lakers conquer the bubble, and banner number 17 will soon hang in the rafters.